Well, good morning, church. Good to see you again. Glad that you are here. And I hope and I pray that you have come because you're hungry for the word of God. Well, we are coming to an end of our series in the book of 1 Peter. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to look at the first four verses of that chapter today. And having said that, much of the sermon that you're going to hear today is actually directed towards the elders of the church. And particularly the elders of our own church. Um, So you might feel like, well, maybe this is a Sunday I could have missed. But let me just encourage you and let you know that that's actually not the case. Because there's a purpose why he addresses the elders in this passage. And that is because of you, the church body. And so you are not disconnected from this. But I hope by the end of the sermon that you'll be able to see your part in this as well. And so there is much that can be taught and said about the role and the position and the calling of an elder in the scriptures. But you're not going to hear all of it today. The only thing I want to present to you for the most part is that which Peter has laid out. And he has, what he has laid out, he has laid out for a very specific purpose. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time in the book of 1 Peter, although we could learn much more about the role of elder, of elder outside of 1 Peter. But staying true to what he has here in its simple form, without all that, that could be added to this, we're just going to look at this. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and here's what we read. And so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Lord, there's much in these verses that are important for us to hear and to know and to apply within our lives and to model ourselves after, whether we're an elder or not. And I pray that you would reveal that to us today, that we would see that even this applies for us all or to us all. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, do the work that you want to accomplish within us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you well know by now, as we're going through the letter of 1 Peter, Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were suffering for no other reason than the fact that they were Christians. And if you and I know anything about suffering, it's this, that people will respond in different ways to suffering. When unexpected suffering comes upon you, when it comes quickly, You'll either step back in fearful bewilderment, not knowing how to respond, or they'll overreact and respond in a way that's much more damaging than beneficial. Or thirdly, they'll respond in wisdom. They'll respond methodically and properly because they've submitted themselves to superior Superior and purposeful wisdom, namely the wisdom of God for whatever season we live in. 
And this is specifically true of the church of Jesus Christ. The church is God's people, a holy people, a righteous and just people stand in direct opposition to the world and the passions of the world because we are in Christ. And so, yes, although it may not necessarily be our experience, but for the rest of the world and possibly soon, maybe even upon us, it can come very suddenly and it's usually and most of the time unwarranted hardship and suffering. And it's because it's for the name of Christ. So when such suffering comes upon us, how should the church respond? How should you and I respond when suddenly suffering comes upon us for our faith in Jesus? And I would begin by saying this. In this is where we begin to see the importance of the church. You see, as the head of the church, Jesus raises up leaders in order to lead the church through whatever season the church may face. These leaders, called by God, are defined in Scripture under several different names. Elder, bishop, or overseer, and I'm going to go with overseer because it's the same word actually, and pastor. So we have these three designations. But all three of these refer to actually the one same office. They just emphasize different elements of that position. Elder emphasizes the spiritual maturity of that man or what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be spiritually mature like an elder. Overseer emphasizes the act of guarding and directing as he watches over the sheep and directing them. And pastor emphasizes the responsibility of feeding the sheep and teaching them. Furthermore, the letter of Titus actually commands that elders be appointed in every church. And why is that? Because in every season of life, the church needs continuous direction. Because we are truly like sheep. And we go astray. You see, when times are good, as Christians and as a church, we can actually become apathetic and lethargic, abandoning our first love, which is Jesus Christ. That's the truth. We're so used to the comforts that we have and the abundance that we've had that that actually serves as a deterrent drawing us away from Christ. Or... We can become unfaithful and rebellious, bringing dishonor to the name of Christ in seasons of hardship. Because we feel like I've suffered so much, so much has come upon me, that I can now justify my rebellion. I can justify the logic for why I'm acting the way I am. And again, it's because we're weak people and we're sinful. And so it doesn't matter what season the church faces, it needs leadership instituted and ordained by God to continue to lead us through all of those seasons. And so when Peter wrote this letter, Christians were entering a season of intense suffering, listen, that would last 200 years. 200 years. Not three months, not six months a year, 
200 years. And as Peter wrote this letter, knowing what they're going through and not really knowing how long it's going to last, he reminds them of who they are. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He wants them to remember that. Remember who you are. When you're going through hard times, remember who you are. And then he reminds them of their purpose in 2 verse 9 when he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember who you are. Remember what he has called you to do. Remember he's raised the people that are going to pay with their lives. And in that season of suffering... The call was not to run and hide. The call was to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. That's what they had been called to do in that season of intense suffering. And brothers and sisters, in the season that we're going through right now, what are we called to do? Right now, you and I are called to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. That's why God ordained for us to be alive in this Peter then goes on. So not only has he reminded them of who they are and what their purpose is, he then even instructs them as to how to manage their suffering. He says, first of all, you should expect suffering. Secondly, you should rejoice to the extent that you've been called to participate in the suffering of Jesus. Thirdly, you're to manage what you suffer for. And lastly, when you suffer, you're to commit your souls to God in the midst of that season. So he's laid this out beautifully. He's given us the instruction. Now Peter knows that in the midst of all of this, it's easier said than done. And so he now turns to the elders of the church and instructing them. And so I have three points that I want to make today that I want to show to you. And the first one is the call to elders. So look at verse 1 of chapter 5 and he says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So we're going to just kind of quickly walk through this verse. But the first thing he does is he exhorts the elders among you. Right? Wherever, wherever this letter is going, any church that it reaches, he is exhorting the elders. Having written all this out, knowing that they're suffering, here's what I'm exhorting the elder. Now that word exhort is a word that we don't commonly use in our modern day vernacular, right? We don't, we don't use it often. Um, so what we need to understand that an exhortation is not actually a command, but it's more of a strong appeal with urgency behind it. In fact, a, a, a literal definition of this word literally means to urge to come alongside. I'm urging you, Peter says, to come alongside me. That's what he's doing. And he's strongly appealing them with great urgency to walk with him. Now, what's implied but not said, and we'll get to this in a bit, is that he's calling them to come alongside to do what he's doing. Because it means to come along, right? Come beside me. I'm going to show you what I'm going to exhort you to. Now, Imagine a lot of these Christians, as the church has spread, a lot of these people may have not met Peter. 
Well, they may certainly have heard of him. They may know that he is the head of the council in Jerusalem. But they may have never met him. And with the suffering that they're experiencing, they may be wondering, well, why should we listen to this guy who's the head of the council in Jerusalem? But he doesn't know to the degree to which we're suffering over here. And he tells them why. The first thing he does is he identifies himself as a fellow elder. Right there, as a fellow elder. See what he's doing? He's leveling the ground between him and, and the elders that he's writing to that he's never met. He's saying, look, I am one of you. And I'm, with that is the inference that I'm not asking you to do anything that I myself am not doing. And then secondly, he puts merit behind his instruction for them to suffer well as Jesus had. Because you see, Peter had actually been an actual eyewitness to the sufferings of Christ. And he had written to them in the previous chapters about how to suffer well, both in chapter 4 and earlier in that, talking about the sufferings of Christ. And he wants them to know, look, the sufferings of Jesus that I wrote to you about, that I'm calling you alongside to endure in, are not fictitious. They really happened. I was an eyewitness myself. I beheld the sufferings of Jesus. And this is why he's bringing this out. He's giving power and validity to why they're called to do this. And lastly, he affirms also that he is a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. And you see what he's doing? He's reminding them that their suffering will not last forever. Good days are coming. No, not just good days, perfect days are coming. When all the suffering will be removed once and for all when God returns, when Christ returns and he removes sin and death. And then they will enter into a lifetime, eternal lifetime of perfect life without suffering. So he's like, look, I'm a partaker of that and so are you. Those days are coming. And so like a good leader, he calls the elders of the churches to come alongside him to do what he's doing. And to know that it's not in vain. And so what exactly is he doing? And what is he calling them to? What is he exhorting them to? What is he urgently appealing them to do? And that brings us into our second point. And here he gives us the command to elder. So when you look at verses 2 and 3, we read this. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, I recognize this morning that I'm preaching to myself, and I'm preaching to the elders of Redemption St. Thomas, but I would also have you know that as we walk through this, you're going to see how you factor into this as well. But his command is to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, that word shepherd, by its very nature, exudes care. You see, a shepherd watches over his flock and he leads them towards green pastures so that they'll be well fed. My brother and I, as young boys, for three years had the opportunity to work as shepherds. 
And so this all made sense to me and came together for me. And we had, we had gained a small bit of understanding of what it means to shepherds. And we learned that, that a shepherd leads his flock away from danger. He guards them from predators that can kill them. And he keeps them from straying from the flock and away from the shepherd's care. You see, when we put this together, a shepherd ensures that his flock is cared for by feeding them, by nurturing them, by guarding them, and by guiding them. Now here's the thing. He uses this language of shepherding, this, this, this imagery. And what we understand out of this passage is that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, the church. And so we see his compassion and his care for his sheep. And he also provides under shepherds or elders who are to shepherd his flock on his, his behalf until he returns, exuding the same care and compassion. Now, notice, I'm going to continue to walk through this. Notice who the elders are to shepherd. He says, the flock of God that is among you. Simply put, elders are to care for the believers within their own church, within their own group, and not for Christians in other churches. And then Peter goes on and he defines one of the elements of shepherding, which is exercising oversight of the flock. Now that word exercising oversight comes to us from the Greek culture, meaning to watch over, to manage, to, to supervise. Furthermore, in 1 Timothy 5.17, refers to elders as men, as it gives a fuller definition of this, who rule while laboring in the word and doctrine. This, comes, this authority comes to elders given by God. Now, having said that, here's what we have to recognize. This is a difficult and dangerous calling. In my short 15 years in ministry, I have never found ministry to be easy, ever. Only difficult. So then why bother? Because he's worthy. That's why Christ is worthy. But this is a difficult and dangerous calling. The, the responsibility is weighty. And it comes at a great cost. Not just mentally and emotionally. On the elders themselves or their families. If that were all it was, then, then that would be good. But there's another danger that comes with eldering. See, how can weak men guard and guide Christ's flock when they themselves fall short and struggle with sin and flesh and the passions of the world? It's not only a dangerous calling, it's an impossible one. Because none of us as elders can attain to the glory of God on our own. In fact, we most of all are dependent upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. And there's so much 
that can go wrong when men lead the church. And we see it happen all too often. And that's why God has not given men their own authority to lead the church to do as they please. But the leaders themselves are under the authority of God, called to lead the church in submission to God for his glory and not our own. We're not building our own kingdom. Jake Clausen isn't building his church. It's Christ's church. And Jake and Henry and Neil are all under the submission of Jesus Christ. Implementing his will, his desires, not our own. That's the reality. But oftentimes, men such as ourselves can forget that. We lose focus, we lose sight. And we can be sidetracked from these things. Now, sticking with the analogy of the shepherd, what we further see is that it's not the flock that determines where they go. It's the shepherd. And in this case, it's the chief shepherd. Jesus dictates where the church needs to go. The call of the elders is to make sure and to discern that we are walking in that path. And that's why Elders are called to give themselves to prayer and to the word in order to lead wisely, having discerned God's will. So recognizing the difficulty and the danger of, uh, that elders face in the command to shepherd the church, Peter now moves on and he addresses how they ought to lead. Now it starts getting really personal. Now Peter's going to begin to address their heart and their attitude. He goes on, he says, the elders are to exercise oversight. Listen, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, elders shouldn't lead as though they're being forced to do something they hate. That's compulsion. I'm forced into this, but I want no part of it. I hate it. No. That's not how elders are supposed to lead. They're not supposed to act as though it's forced upon them and that they don't like it. You see, God would have them do this willingly. Now, the difference between an elder leading under compulsion and leading willingly, excuse me, is a heart issue. What it is, it's a heart issue. And if they don't see Christ as worthy above all else, if they don't see the preciousness of the church, remembering why Christ loved her and gave himself for her, then they'll serve under compulsion. And this is why elders need to be given to prayer and to the word so that continually they're growing in their own faith and continually beholding and increasing in their understanding of the beauty and the worth and the preciousness of Jesus Christ himself and then his church, his precious bride. And you only gain that by continually growing in the faith. Secondly, elders are to exercise oversight, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the elders, or Paul writes that elders should be able to make a living off of the spiritual work they do. But as we all know, and we've all witnessed in our own lifetime, the temptation, however, is for men to develop and build and live and achieve a grand lifestyle with great wealth peddling the word of God. The running joke is that as a pastor, all you do is you preach one hour a week, right? That's kind of the running joke. Sadly, that may actually be the temptation for many well, I'll get into ministry. All I got to do is preach one hour a week, right? And get them to give me the money. Now, I wish that wasn't true, but it is. We see it in our own world, even in this day and age. And so that temptation is there. But for those who want to honor Christ and how they lead, recognize that this is no easy task. And again, even this is a hard issue. And it reveals impure and sinful motives. When it talks about elders doing this willingly, the idea behind it is that there needs to be an eagerness to care for the church. And this, this eagerness to want to care for the church. See, it's not about me building my lifestyle, but it's about wanting to serve Christ in the way that we serve the church because he loves Christ. And because he loves Christ, he loves his church. And that is the sole motivation for the work of shepherding. No other purpose. No other motivation. Because Christ is worthy and he deserves glory and honor and praise. And the church is his precious bride. And he has called me to care for her. My goodness, what a difficult task it is when we do not have what it takes to do it. And yet he has called us to it. And thirdly, Peter says that when elders exercise oversight, they're to be, listen, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Often, when someone in the church rises up because they have their doctrine right, they're confident in what they believe, and they're outspoken, they have no fear of just saying what they believe and how it is, right? Oftentimes the church makes a mistake, looks at people like that and says, that guy should be a leader in the church right there. He's, not, he's got his doctrine right, he knows what he believes, he's confident in it, and he's not ashamed to say it. But I would caution us with that greatly. And I said it, the church often makes the mistake thinking that that is good leadership. It's true, an elder ought not to be ashamed or afraid to speak the word of God the way it needs to be spoken unapologetically. But if his heart and his conduct do not model and demonstrate the humility of Christ and the compassion of Christ, then that's not church leadership. That is not church leadership. But this is a danger that elders can fall into. 
they can fall into this trap and see eldership as a lofty position that empowers them to turn the church into something they want. And I'm sure we've all heard this. If you've been in the church for a long period of time, some time or another, you've heard someone say, now that he's in there, we're going to see change. Right? Because he's not afraid to say it the way it needs to be said. And he's going to get the work done. That may be true. But listen, folks, if his heart is not one of humility and compassion, then it will reap, this, reap destruction, not fruit. Let us be aware of that. We warn against that. So here he says they're not to be domineering, but elders can often be tempted to do this. And I'm not excusing myself from this either. But that's not eldership. Peter actually lays out what elders ought to be examples of to the flock. They're to be examples. Now listen to this because we're going to look into this momentarily here. The elders are to model something. They're to be an example, right? So they're supposed to model something. First of all, I want to ask, ask the question, for who? What are they supposed to model? Who are they supposed to model for? And the answer is for the church. What are they supposed to model? How to live in a God-honoring fashion in whatever season the church faces. And you know what? I'm not going to step out of any outside of 1 Peter and into any other book just to help us understand in brief some of the things that Peter has said that are to be modeled. Things that we've been called to a lifestyle that we're called to live. In this very short letter, five chapters, and I'm just going to give you some of the things that we're to model as elders. Chapter 113, he says, they're to be sober-minded, setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus returns. Now, I'm paraphrasing these verses, but you'll see them up on the screen behind me. To be sober-minded doesn't mean simply to not be given to alcohol or anything else that inebriates you. But this is to have the mindset and the ability to think through difficult times, to see things clearly, to not be pulled this way or that way when sudden pressures come upon the church. But to be able to stand and to see through the fog of what's actually going on. Right? So be sober-minded and here's the key, setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus returns. Regardless of what's going on, their focus is on Jesus Christ. That's where it is. We're looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? And the grace that will come when he returns. He goes on, don't be conformed to your former passions, but be holy in your conduct as God is holy. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of the season that the church is living in, here's what the elders are to model. We're to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We're to put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy and slander. We're not to be known for such things. We're to abstain from the passions of the flesh. 
We're to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, how important isn't this message for us in the season we are in right now? Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. What is it that the world will know the people of Redemption Bible Chapel for? What will the people of our community know this church for in the midst of this season that we're in right now? What will other churches even think of the people that attend this church in this season? What are they known for in this season? My hope, my prayer is that it will be that we're completely trusting in Jesus Christ. And that this season that we're in is not pulling us this way, it's not pulling us that way, but we stand steadfast knowing that he's in control and that he's in control of everything right now and he's worthy to be praised even in the midst of this. So we don't need to go off the rails. So keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He goes on. Be subject, again I'm paraphrasing, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, which, by the way, have been instituted by God. And so submit yourself, be subject to the authorities. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, including prime ministers, premiers, your local mayor. I've actually been asked over the last little while, how come the elders of Redemption Bible, Bible Chapel St. Thomas haven't come out and taken a stand or made a statement of sorts? Well, we haven't in regards to everything that's going on outside, but I hope that what we have lived out will demonstrate that we are first and foremost and only concerned about glorifying Jesus Christ in this season. That's why we exist. That's why God has us alive in this season to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus in this community. He goes on, he says, yeah, be subject to the, the authorities that are over you with all respect. And that's a hard one, isn't it? Especially when we see what's going on, it really just kind of just pushes against us. He goes on, not just the good, but also the harsh. Why do we do this? Because we're imitating Christ. He goes on. He says to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Endure it. He goes on. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. That's what we need to be doing in this season. We need to be blessing people. He goes on, keep your tongue from evil and deceit. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. All this is all so applicable in the season in which we're living right now. But hearing this, we might even find ourselves going, ah, wait a minute. But, but this is the instruction from Peter who saw Jesus suffer and even die. And who himself is suffering going, here's how we ought to live, folks. And even in 2020, under the corona pandemic, here's how we ought to respond. And he goes on in chapter 4, tells us that we ought to spend our time living for the will of God. 
And he goes on telling us to use your gifts to serve one another. Folks, listen. This is what the elders of Redemption Bible Chapel are to imitate. This is what we are to model, the things that I've just listed out here. So when the church looks at the elders, this is what you see. These are hard shoes to fill, but it's what we're called to. My hope and my prayer is that as a church, you see that in this season. That our concern is for the glory of God and making Christ known in this season. And we too are just weak men. And we're struggling with all the same things that you are. And that's why this is such a difficult and dangerous calling. But it's worth it because Christ is worthy. And this is why your elders are to give themselves to prayer and the word so that we actually live this way. Not just in theory, but in actual practice. Now, we are to model this. Elders are to model this, and this is where you as a church come in. This is where you're connected. You, the application is not just for the elders, but for you as a church here. The elders are to model this. This is what the elders are supposed to live like so that the rest of the church will know how they're supposed to live and how they're supposed to respond in the season that the church faces. How's that going for us right now? Folks, God has given us in this season an incredible opportunity to glorify him and to make him known. In this season. I hope and pray we don't squander it. I pray for myself that I don't squander it. But here's the truth. There's nothing easy but the things that we find written here. And so we might become discouraged going, oh, we don't know if we can actually live up to that. Well, here's the good news. Peter then reminds them of the consolation of faithful eldership and even for the church, faithful obedience in this. So the third point is the consolation. Now, when I use that word consolation here, I'm not speaking of second place or second prize, right? First loser type of thing. I'm talking here is about the comfort that we have, that we can have in the midst of this. Look at verse 4. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, here's the great reminder and consolation of comfort. And he starts with this. When the chief shepherd appears. Here's what we can draw from this statement alone. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's still in control. It's his church. And he cares for her. And he loves her. And he's coming back for her. So let us be faithful and continue on. The other thing we, we draw out of this is that eldering 
is not a thankless task. No matter how difficult it is, listen, when Jesus returns, we will receive an unfading crown of glory. And folks, this crown of glory that we read about here is not designated to faithful eldership alone, but to anyone who abides in Christ faithfully living for the glory of God. But he's just reminding the elders, this is why. It's not without purpose. It's not without merit. Right? You will never lose out because you were faithful to God. You'll receive an unfading crown of glory. Now, in Roman times, crowns were given to the winners of an athletic event. But often they were made of some sort of vine or they may have even been made of something else. But in time, those crowns all faded and deteriorated in some way or another. And, and I don't want to get into precisely what Peter's talking about, this crown of glory. I think it's just symbolic of, of a greater reward. But that's for another time. But, and I still haven't wrapped my mind around everything that it is. But whatever it is, it's unfading. It lasts forever. When God rewards, his reward never ends. His reward lasts forever. Man, what a concept, isn't it? And so therefore, that's an encouragement to keep on being faithful to the elders, lead faithfully to the church, follow faithfully. Because there's a reward that will never run out. Now, here's the irony of it all. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Don't forget that. He is the shepherd of the church. And you know what the truth is? He's actually the one who deserves the crown. I mean, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And we look forward when we shall actually see him on his throne. When we will see it with our own eyes. Wearing his crown. And he gives us a crown? The under-shepherds? The irony of it all. Just think of this for a moment. He called the shepherds or the under-shepherds. He calls us. But he also had to save us first. And then he has to empower us. And we can only continue on faithfully by his strength. And he keeps us. We can take credit for nothing, and he gives us a crown. Just think on that for a while. And the more I think about this, the more I begin to understand why the 24 elders in the book of Revelation cast their, their crowns before him. Why? Because... I think it's because they realize we're not worthy. We don't deserve this. But you do, Jesus. But you do. You are worthy, O oh Lord, and God to receive glory and honor and power. Because the only way we can elder faithfully is by his strength. By his grace that he alone supplies. So you see, 
There's a purpose in which why God has instituted elders within the church so that we might model for the rest of the church what it looks like. That's one of the things. There's other things such as guiding and directing and teaching, but so that we can model for the church what it looks like to glorify God in whatever season the church faces. And what we come to understand is that there's nothing more important in this life than to honor Christ by living in such a way that reveals his character and his holiness. And through that, we glorify him. And so my encouragement for you today would be this. Pray for our elders. And here's what's more. There are people in this room today that are not yet elders, but that I believe God is raising up to be elders. So don't only pray for the elders that we now have. Pray for the elders that the Lord will raise up. Pray for their example so that you as a church will have a clear example of how to live in whatever season we as a church may face so that you can follow with confidence knowing that we live in submission to and that we as elders are following Christ. Pray with me. Our great God and Father in heaven, this passage today is for us as elders, for those of us who serve in this office. And it's a great high and dangerous calling. It's an impossible calling. But it's a worthy one only because Jesus Christ is worthy. So Lord, I pray for our elders, for faithfulness. That we might model what it is to live a God-honoring life even in this season. Give us wisdom and insight and discernment, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that our church here among us would recognize that these men are following God. They're following Christ faithfully. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the church following after that as well. Lord, it's difficult to mention or to refer to the words of Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. But I believe that's what he's telling us here. That the church should follow the elders as they follow Christ. So I pray for our elders, Lord, that we would follow Christ honorably, rightly, for the glory and honor of your name. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. Continue to provide what we need to be faithful unto you. And I pray that you would be exalted in this church. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving.